the Panda Babes podcast. I'm your host, Kate, and today I have a fun story that I've been really looking forward to recording. I have a special guest, and that guest is my husband. I'm actually going to be recording my story tonight. Today is July 14th, and it is Alfie's first birthday. And I thought, what better way to celebrate than to record his birth story and just get to reminisce a little bit on what made me a mom and specifically a panda, panda mom. So I have Dan with me today. Hi, Dan. Well, hello. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here. Dan has been a huge supporter in me getting this podcast started, and it's been a lot of fun. He's, a, he's my biggest cheerleader, and definitely throughout labor and delivery as well. Watching, uh, watching you do this podcast and all of the women that uh, are in your bumpers group and Reddit groups, it's been fun to see this come to uh, fruition and watch you do this podcast. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. So I'm going to be going through my birth story and Dan's going to be essentially playing me and getting to poke and prod in the story a little bit and add in things here and there. As he remembers them, I'm sure it's slightly different than my foggy, <laughs> labor-induced brain. <laughs> so, to start off with, I my name is Kate, obviously, and we live in Texas. I live in Houston, Texas. We were originally from South Dakota and Minnesota. We moved down to Houston about four years ago. Been married four years. Yeah. Met in college. Been together for almost a decade. So long. So, <laughs> so I'm going to start my story in March 2020 because I feel like that is when a new chapter started in my pregnancy. It was when the world came to a stop and lockdowns were going on around the world. And Houston was no exception. I was working at an architecture firm at the time. And during that lockdown, they were unable to support so many people working from home and myself and a number of other people ended up getting laid off. And so I was suddenly unemployed in a pandemic and five months pregnant and not really knowing what was going on. And so I busied myself with all the classic pandemic lockdown things of puzzles and banana bread. And I, we had just moved into a new place. So luckily I had lots of projects of unpacking and hanging pictures and stuff, but it was definitely an odd time. About a month later in April, uh, I was supposed to have my baby shower and the two week only lockdown definitely extended past that and we had to cancel my baby shower, which I was really disappointed about. I'm one of those people who I love to plan get togethers. I love having it, like organizing it all, sending out the invites, getting people, getting people together in general. And so I was really bummed when my baby shower got canceled because that was something that I was really looking forward to. And especially with this being my first kid, it was my first time getting to experience it uh, myself. And it was, we were able to do a zoom one, uh, which was <laughs> a lot of fun. We, it was great because we ended up getting to see a lot of different people who probably wouldn't have been able to travel and be at a physical one uh, in person. But it just wasn't quite the same as getting to really celebrate my pregnancy with friends and family. I think that's right. It, it was different. You know, I tell people this when they ask what it was like having a baby in the middle of a pandemic. And I don't know any different. Right. Right. I don't know what it's like to have a baby outside of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so obviously the baby showers would have been fun to have in person. But we also did a gender reveal via Zoom with our families. Right. And so we kind of were used to a little bit of the digital era, mm -hmm. having a baby. Right. All of our family is still up in South Dakota and Minnesota. So a lot, yeah, a lot of our communication had been digital already. Yeah. But yeah, I would say that was definitely one thing that I, I missed being in a pandemic. In a panini. <laughs> uh one of the other things that really stuck with me throughout the next coming months was that Dan wasn't allowed at my appointments. And this was stressful for me because, I mean, it's it's hard going into 
some of these ultrasounds where they're like, okay, great, we're gonna do all of these measurements and here's the list of things that could go wrong. If this measurement's off, they could have this terrible thing going on. And it's really nerve wracking, especially as a first time parent where you've never gone through it before, you don't know what they're looking at. Everything on the screen is just a weird blur until they're like snapping pictures and they're like, this is their arm, um, <laughs> which is magic, I swear. I don't know how they do that. But uh, that was really stressful for me being in a pandemic and not having Dan there to support me at appointments because the rules were changing weekly and pregnant women kept going on and off of the vulnerable population list and nobody knew if it if COVID affected pregnant women. And so going into the offices, there was always this weird kind of air of tension in the waiting rooms because you could tell all the women in there, we were all like as spaced out as we could possibly be. There were air purifiers blasting. When you walked in, uh, you know, everyone's masked. You would use a pen and then you'd have to put it in a certain basket so that nobody reused your pen because nobody knew how COVID was spread even. And there was just so much structure around trying to prevent any type of spread of illness that it was, it just added to kind of the tension that those appointments are kind of charged with already. I was really lucky that during my last ultrasound that I got, the doctor who was looking at Alfie bouncing around like crazy because he never was still enough for them to get proper measurements. So they always had to call in the doctor. He was really, really sympathetic. And I was really sad about Dan not getting to see Alfie because this is one of the few ones where we actually got to see Alfie. And I was sad about Dan not being there. And he let me quick FaceTime Dan so that I could show him the screen, which I'm sure just looked like a blur. But Dan was like, oh my God, look. <laughs> so he was really gracious about it. Um, but that was such a nice moment to be able to, you know, kind of share it with Dan. It was, I, I was trying to think back in preparation for this. And our OB, mm -hmm. Dr. Dr. Ball, Ball mm -hmm. I, I can say that, Dr. Ball, I've never met in person. Never met Dr. Ball, the OB, in person. Until we got to the hospital, yeah. Until we got to the hospital, right. And so, I mean, think about that. I, I, again, I don't know what I don't know, mm -hmm. but you would have thought that being in the room, ultrasound, appointments, point, yeah. checkup, you know, I had questions. I wanted mm -hmm. to make sure and support you and be there with you. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a different world. Yeah. It was a different world. And I think one of the other hard things that we both struggled with, I think, was where to draw lines when it came to COVID protocols. Mm -hmm. And just because there were so many unknowns that it, it was always such a mental struggle for me on, okay, do I go grocery shopping or do I not? I mean, I, like I said, I was, I didn't have a job at this time. So for me taking care of the house or going grocery shopping was, you know, kind of an easy activity that I could do. <laughs> But I didn't know what I could and couldn't do. I didn't know who I should see or who I should avoid. I didn't know, okay, great, I've got these two friends who have been pretty safe, but who have they seen and have those people been safe? And I don't know how long this... We should say neither of us knowingly uh, were infected with COVID. I, yeah, we I, never... I never got neither, sick. Neither of us have had COVID. Both vaccinated now, but... Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> I, I mean, w w what is that like? No one knew the repercussions of a pregnant woman getting COVID and going through those symptoms and what it had on the fetus. So it was always trying to weigh the risks of mm -hmm. seeing people versus not living in a closet for a year. Right. Um, we struggled with that. I mean, there was times where... It was hard because I definitely erred on the side of caution a lot. And I'm a social I, butterfly and I just want to go do everything. You, you needed the social interaction to survive. <laughs> <laughs> we both did for you to survive. But I felt like that was really difficult for a lot of the pandemic, even after Alfie was born, was trying mm -hmm. to draw lines on who could come see him, everything like that. And I feel like that was a common struggle for a lot of people where family wanted to come visit beforehand and that meant somebody was flying in a plane which was bonkers and we we're trying to figure out okay do we have you change the clothes you were wearing at the airport uh, before you get in the car we had people getting covid tests before we let them in the house we just it was really difficult to know where to draw the line without being crazy and so it was yeah it was hard but moving along to the actual exciting stuff the birth of alfie <laughs> Alfred. 
So my due date was July 12th and I was dead set on having this baby by July 12th because it was July in Houston. And if you've never been to Texas in the summertime, I'd highly recommend you don't. It, <laughs> it's not ideal weather. Uh, it's very hot, very humid, especially if you're pregnant. And I get to my due date and I am still very pregnant and I was very disappointed. But what was that like? I've always been curious about this. What, what is that like coming up to your due date? And you're like, is it any like weird movement that you feel? Like, oh, you're just bloated oh. and gassy and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to labor? Literally. Or is it? Literally anything. If I, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If I had gas, it was like, is it, is it labor or is it a fart? Like, <laughs> that was exactly what it was. Or uh, anytime I had weird heartburn or um, I was peeing more or less than usual or whatever it was. Yeah. Everything was, oh my God, is this labor? And it's like, it's like you have a, a test. And then they're like, eh, we're going to move it to tomorrow. And you're like, what? <laughs> I've been preparing for so long for this. And so zero, nothing going on the entire day on the 12th. And that night around like 2 a.m., I woke up really uncomfortable. And which is not uncommon when you're nine months pregnant. But then I kept waking up again. And I realized that I was having mild contractions. And, but they were super spaced out and I was using an app to track them, and, which I would highly recommend. It makes it way easier because it's the middle of the night and you're not going to remember when your last one was or how long it was or anything like that. So there's a bunch of different apps for it. Definitely use them. Anyway, so I didn't even wake up Dan because they were so spread out, so mild, everything like that, that I was like, well, if this is happening, you're going to need your sleep. So I didn't wake him up at all. I finally told Dan in the morning, uh, it was a Monday morning. Uh, that I'd had contractions throughout the night, and he was baffled that I didn't wake him up. I was blown away. Yeah. <laughs> I was, hold up, wait a minute, you're having contractions, and I'm just like snoring away, <laughs> sleeping like, a, you know, not like a baby. It's a marathon, not a sprint, babe, don't yeah. worry. And anyway, so I, I wake up, and I'm still, yeah, they're super spaced out. I'm not worried about it. Um, so I kind of go about my morning that morning. I actually ended up losing my mucus plug, which I didn't really think about until it happened. And I was like, Oh, that's another sign that I'm about to go into labor. Okay. So the contractions are still spaced out. And so I'm not in any rush to get to the hospital or worried about me going into like super labor really fast. And so I ended up actually going for a walk with our dog Coda, who's a Husky and we were both equally as disgusted with the hot weather. And I, we went, there's a little route that we can go like straight down the street and back and it's one mile. And that had been kind of my route to walk every day to get out of the house. Cause that was one of the approved safe activities for everyone was that you could like walk outside in your neighborhood. And so Coda and I are, Coda's like panting down the sidewalk. I'm waddling my way down the sidewalk, having contractions every so often. But again, they're not too terrible at this point. I get back and they're starting to get a little bit stronger. And then later that afternoon, they're finally getting to a consistent point uh, spaced out. And so we call the nurse line like, hey, first time caller. Um, <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> and uh, told the, the nurse what was going on. She's like, yep, sounds like you're pretty consistent. Why don't you go ahead and come in? We'll at least get you checked and see what's going on. All else feels, we'll send you home. Um, otherwise, you'll have a baby. So... It was go time, and as soon as we said it was go time, Dan went into like Papa Bear mode where he was like, okay, we got the bag, we got this, we got the car seat. We go to hop in the Jeep, which... Yeah, oh, hold up, because this is a ridiculous sidebar of the story. So a week and a half earlier, we had a crazy thunderstorm roll through Houston, and the lot next to the house that we're in has a giant half-dead tree that falls down in the middle of this storm and crashes across a damn near brand new 2019 Ram 15. We had just gotten it in June. Crashed right across the hood. This thing was in the shop for like a week and a half. At least. So we didn't have the truck the day that she goes into labor. We had a kind of a ranky Jeep that didn't it's a Jeep have... Jeep Wrangler that Jeep didn't Wrangler. have AC. It was out on the AC. It was kind of on a, a wonky AC. It also needed a little oven. But so we're packing up the Jeep, which already had the car seat installed in it, ready to go, because we didn't know 
we didn't know when I was going to go into labor or anything, so we're ready because, you know, first time parents. We start driving to the hospital, which is not too far. It was like 15 minutes, maybe. Dan is driving like a bat out of hell. And you can't get a ticket. can't get a ticket. <laughs> it is the one time you can't get a ticket. But I was also like, we need to make it to the hospital. So you need to slow down. Made it to the hospital safe and sound. Pull into the hospital and they had a valet area, which was really nice so that they could park your vehicle for you. So you could just go right in. And so we had to make sure that we had everything because, again, due to COVID protocols, once you were in the hospital, you couldn't leave. And you couldn't have people bringing you things either because they didn't want any type of contact with somebody else. Because this was still when we weren't sure if COVID was spread uh, via contact surfaces instead of just through the air. And so get there, grab the bags. I'm having a contraction because every time I switch positions, so getting out of the car was really uncomfortable for me. Dan swings around to the other side to grab the car seat. And he's like, okay, great. How do I get it out? And I was like, there should be like buttons. I don't know. I, you know, I'm distracted. I, my entire um, uterus is It's like 100, 100 degrees outside. I'm ahead in the, in the door trying to get a car seat out that I didn't install. You know, thank goodness for you. <laughs> I, I was working throughout everything. You know, you had a lot I of time. I had a lot of time to prep. A lot of time to prep. Anyway, so Dan's freaking out because he's like, I don't, I can't. And he's like. He's shaking and Everything moving in and Spanish. buttons. So I tell Dan that, just look at the stickers. There's pictures like on the side of it saying what to do, where to click. And he goes, they're all in Spanish. <laughs> and he's like, I don't speak Spanish. Or at least not enough to decipher what's going on in a car scene. <laughs> and, so, oh and it was because all the English stickers were on the other side. And it was one of those moments where we both kind of looked at each other like, just well, shit. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Like, we're going to be okay, but... Maybe grab the big orange handle on the front. Yeah. That, that maybe, maybe... Yeah, we did, and then we, after we took a breath, we realized it was like, oh, okay, just the, the one giant button on the top. I'm sure that valet guy sees some shit, though. Oh. Like, that guy has got to see some <laughs> some crazy, crazy People stories. People come sliding in. Oh, yeah. Sliding over, uh, like, the hood of their car, like a Duke's yeah. Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> Duke's Hazard. And so, anyway, so we get inside, and they immediately take our temperatures, have us use hand sanitizer, we've got masks on, and we you couldn't use any type of a homemade mask or anything, it had to be... We had N95s. We, we were lucky enough that our family mail had sent us uh, N95s, specifically for labor, so we saved them for being in the hospital, and we were brought into the admitting area for labor and delivery, which is where they had kind of smaller rooms so they could check you out, see if you actually were in active labor or if you could go home and labor at home for a while. So they bring us into this small room. We sit down. We're all excited. We're having a baby. And they check me and I'm at like hardly one centimeter. <laughs> like, I think I've been at one centimeter since my last OB check. And there was, yeah, there was no, no movement at all. This room was, I don't know, 10 feet by seven feet. It was like a it small dorm room. Tiny. It was like a small dorm room. It was tiny. But I mean, that was what it was for. It wasn't for delivering. Right. And so anyway, they hooked me up to a bunch of monitors and they're checking out Alfie's heartbeat and everything seems fairly normal. There was, after one contraction, he had a heart rate decel, which means that uh, his heart rate dipped really low and then took a little bit to come back. Usually when you have a contraction, there's some type of change in their heart rate just because they're being squeezed. And then usually it bounces back really quickly. So um, his was taking just an extra second to return to normal. And so they're like, you know what? You're not progressing at all. But because he's having, he had this one D cell, we just want to keep an eye on him for longer. So why don't you guys just stay? And we're like, okay. I mean, what else are we going to do at home besides worry and sit there and have contractions anyway? So we sit there, we sit there, and we sit there, and finally it was getting to be around dinner time. We had gotten there around 3 p.m., and Dan went to go get some dinner, and he brought me back a little bit of food because once I went upstairs into the actual labor and delivery ward, they weren't allowing us to get food. And so <laughs> we got some food. Uh, Dan got me a popsicle because his dinner did not sound appetizing to me at all because I was having really consistent and really strong contractions and they were making me nauseous and he had gotten like chicken strips or something at the cafeteria. They had like day, day old Chick-fil-A sandwiches <laughs> that I had like for three days. He ended up finding a popsicle for me and I was overjoyed. I have a picture of me smiling super big about it, but then I promptly had a contraction and threw it up. 
and which was really disappointing. Uh, so anyway, I, I labored for a long time in that room because they didn't have any labor delivery ward rooms available upstairs in the actual ward. And because apparently everybody else was having a baby on that day. <laughs> and so we had to stay in this room until a room became available upstairs. Until midnight. Mm-hmm. And so, which was really difficult because they couldn't give me an epidural until I got upstairs. And I was having really strong, consistent contractions. Like every four minutes, I was having a full-on contraction. And I was super uncomfortable. But I was, I was trying to avoid unnecessary interventions. I was definitely open to intervention. So if I needed any type of medicine, if Alfie needed any type of intervention, I was open to it. My goal was just to have a healthy baby Earthside however means possible. I was really trying to avoid some of the IV drip drugs that they give you because I had heard that they make you really loopy and I was really, I really wanted to stay present in at least giving birth as much as possible. I was okay with pain management but I didn't want to be out of it when I had my baby and not be there for the moments of me actually getting to hold him for the first time and everything like that. But eventually it got to the point where I, I was in so much pain. I was exhausted and I couldn't take it anymore. And it was like 11 p.m. And they gave me some pain meds uh, finally in the IV. And I got some relief. I passed out for a little bit. I tried to stay awake and Dan laughed at me. He's like, just go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, you I was not holding a good conversation. <laughs> so I got a little bit of relief. And then finally at like, I think it was, actually, I think it was around 11 p.m. We ended up finally getting a room upstairs oh my god hang on that is the dog that's the snoring. dog snoring in the background hang on we gotta wake her up okay the dog has been woken up <laughs> we finally moved into a much larger room up in labor and delivery which is typical so that if they have to bring in NICU if they have to have an anesthesiologist right there anything like that they can have a big room that can hold a lot of different medical personnel it was huge mm-hmm. own bathroom the works mm-hmm and so... No jacuzzi. Yeah, no tub or anything, but we didn't... That wasn't something that I had requested. Um, I think it would probably be really nice next time, but... Noted. Um, <laughs> but we get up there, and it isn't until 3 a.m. when I get my epidural, and that was finally when the anesthesiologist was able to come into the room, and I remember uh, the... Uh, I think it was a nurse who had who was prepping me for it had me sit up, which again, every time I was changing positions, it would cause me to have a contraction. And so I sat up and I started having a contraction and like the fine specimen of human that I am, I ended up choking on my spit. So I'm coughing and I'm having a contraction and I'm just like trying to catch my breath between those two things. And Dan had to leave the room. They wouldn't let him be in the room during the epidural just because they, as they're inserting the needle, they're going straight into your spine. So they don't want any, any type of unnecessary contamination in the room, I think is the reason. They didn't really give me a reason. I was, I was surprised and a little bit taken aback that they made me leave the room during that time. Mm -hmm. I wish I was there with you. Like you get a needle in your spine. I want to be there for you. And yeah. Like, you I know. wonder if they have like a lot of dads pass out or something when they see it. So <laughs> preventative. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, I they ended up finally being able to give me an epidural, and it was amazing. I finally felt like I could catch my breath and get a little bit of rest. I was still progressing really slowly, and so they were hoping that if I was able to relax and give my body a little bit of a break, that they could, you know, really push to get to pushing. <laughs> and so I finally was able to get a little bit of sleep, a little bit of rest, were you okay with the epidural? Like I, I know oh, that yeah. you, I know that you were open to having that, and frankly, I think you were expecting to having that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's a big step. Right? It is, and I know a lot of people are against it for various reasons. I was open to it. I, I kind of came into labor and delivery with the mindset and mantra of I don't know what I don't know. This is my first kid. I don't know what labor pains are going to be like. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle that or not. I, I mean, I. I play rugby, I do CrossFit, I lift weight, I do all these things, um, but I have no idea what it's going to be like. And so it got to that point where I had been in the hospital laboring for 12 hours with hardly any progress and consistent contractions. And I was like, yep, I need a break. And so got the epidural and I, it, 
it numbed everything from like my belly button down. It that was, thing was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like you, it was like instant relief. Mm-hmm. One thing that I actually didn't know before going into labor and delivery was that an epidural is not like a single shot. It's on a drip. And so it's continuous the entire time they have. You thought it was like a nerve block. Yeah, exactly. That was, I had had surgeries before that had a nerve block and it's like, okay, you're going to get this and then it's going to wear off. Because you always hear these horror stories of epidurals not working or wearing off, and then they feel everything, and I was terrified of that. But yeah, they just keep a continuous drip of medicine going so that you have that relief, uh, which, again, was amazing. So finally, I'm not progressing, and they you just... You were messing with your legs, like, hey, pick up on your legs, try to move on your legs. Oh my gosh, I... Yeah, I couldn't do anything. <laughs> they, were, they were dead dead. And they had a catheter and everything because I obviously couldn't control my bladder because everything south of my belly button was completely numb. Around 5.30 in the morning, they decide to give me Pitocin to try to move things along because I'd obviously been laboring for a long time. Um, Alfie had had a few other heart rate decels. And so they were like, you know what? Let's get the show on the road. We're going to give you some Pitocin and just see how you react. And I did not react well to it, meaning that actually Alfie didn't react well. He, his heart rate dropped and he was not a fan of it. And so they, they immediately pushed back on the Pitocin, which they were giving via a, an IV in my wrist. And so they, they held off on the Pitocin. They're like, let's try some different positions. So they had me try to lay on my side, which again, immediately caused heart rate D cells. Alfie was like, not having it. Nope. Mom's going to be on her back this whole time. Don't move. (laughs) Uh, Which was kind of frustrating because it was, uncomfortable sitting there in that position for so long. Where's your mental state at this point? You know, having Alfie heart rate D cells. I mean, for me, I was, I mean, that scared me. Mm -hmm. I was trying to be tough guy, you know, try to be positive and not be fearful or scared in front Mm -hmm. of you. Where were you with this, you know, with, with that kind of information? At this point, I had been laboring for so long. And once we got upstairs, I couldn't eat solid foods. And so, which... If you know me, I eat all day long. (laughs) Dan's laughing right now. I eat a lot of food throughout the day. I'm just an eternally hungry person. For me not to be able to eat, especially during something this physical, was really difficult for me. So I was exhausted. I was hungry because I could only have jello and soup broth and water, which was awful. I was bored. I was sitting there just in, I mean, I wasn't in as much pain, but I'm just basically sitting there waiting for my cervix to actually open so that I can have a baby. Were you, with the the news of like the heart rate decels though, was that Mm -hmm. scary to you? Dive into that. We had really good nurses in our room. Um, They were great. I think they were really good. They were amazing at explaining kind of what was going on. So I I wasn't as fearful um, just because they were keeping such a close eye on the charts and everything. They were coming in really regularly. Anytime that we had a question, they made sure to answer it for us. So I don't think I was quite fearful. I don't think, I think my, my brain and body were just so focused on labor itself that I was like, okay, this didn't work. That's okay. We go back. Everything's normal again. Okay. We can try the next thing. Yeah. I don't think I I ever was super fearful at that point about the heart rate D cells. It was more of like a annoyance. So we're going on with the day and again, on and off trying the Pitocin again, just to see if Alfie would react any differently to it. He doesn't hates it every time any position change, hates it every time. And finally, around eight o'clock in the morning, my OB starts her shift. And so she was going to be there. I think it was from like seven to seven was her shift that day at the hospital, which was amazing. So I was like, yes, I'm going to have my OB here to actually, you know, walk me through birth. Uh, I loved my OB. She was great. Around eight o'clock, they're like, well, your water hasn't broken yet. So we're going to go ahead and break your water. They came in to do that. And actually just before they were going to come in, I had felt a little bit of wetness, but I didn't really realize what was going on because, again, I was numb completely from the waist down. And my water had broken on its own, which is a good sign, which meant that I was progressing slightly at least. Jumping ahead, I finally get to five centimeters around five in the evening. So this is 26 hours after I'd gotten to the hospital. I'm finally at eight centimeters. And they're like, okay, we're going to start pushing soon. We're going to have you lay on your side again because we really need to move Alfie around. He seems like he's not wanting to kind of get in position to exit the uterus. And with the epidural, you're not able to get up and move and walk and Mm -hmm. bounce on balls or anything like that. Exactly. And so I had been sitting mostly in the same position for almost 24 hours. 
But again, every time I was having these major contractions, especially as I was starting to dilate more and he was shifting into position to be birth, it was causing him really, really big heart rate D cells. And they were slowly, um, they were starting to come back slower and slower. And this I think is when I was starting to get a little bit worried just because it was taking him so long to get back up to normal heart rate. And that seemed to really concern the nurses. 6.30, 7 o'clock, they're like, okay, we're ready to start pushing. I was getting really determined at this point because my OB's shift ended at 7 o'clock p.m. And I really wanted her to deliver Alfie. Uh, I wanted her to be there for it all. And just because she was really great throughout my entire experience, I was like, okay, I gotta have this baby by 7 o'clock. I'm ready to push. I'm ready to do everything. And it just isn't ready to push. Uh, we talked in Maggie's episode a little bit about just you suddenly feel your body needing to push and I didn't have that yet. And so finally my OB comes in, Dr. Ball, and she's like, hey, I'm going to have to go home. Um, my shift is over. I can't stay any longer, but Dr. Smith is here. She's amazing. She's a part of my group, everything like that. And so this doctor that I had never met before was going to be the one delivering my baby. And I was like, I was really disappointed about that. I was too. And just because I didn't, not that she isn't great at her job, uh, which she ended up being amazing, but I just, it was that familiarity where I didn't have a lot of things throughout my pregnancy that were familiar. So having my OB need to leave and having somebody else completely different that I'd never had a conversation with be there at you know the ninth hour to deliver Alfie was definitely kind of an emotional jolt. This is something that I tell all of the expecting dads. This is one of my biggest takeaways. This was a surprise to me. Like, I, I don't know why I always expected our, your OB to be there. No the matter birth. what. Like, oh, hey, it's going to, you know, almost ready for birth. My shift's up. Peace out. I'm done. <laughs> like, I didn't expect that. And, right. and so. Which it makes I, sense in retrospect. And obviously I she think has so. a life. And yeah. I mean, of, She of has course. other people birthing that day as well. So Of course. I mean, I wish that she was there. I wish I would have mentally prepared to have someone else driving the ship mm -hmm. when it comes down to time for you to deliver. Yeah. That was one of my biggest takeaways for sure. Mm -hmm. But Dr. Smith was really good. Uh, she, she knew what was going on. She understood Alfie having D-cells, uh, how to handle that, and how to essentially prepare me to start pushing. When it finally came time around, I think it was around 7-ish, when I finally did start pushing, it was right after Dr. Ball left. I started pushing, but again, it was really difficult to know how to push and how to use muscles that were essentially numb. Um, I couldn't feel my uterus or my, you know, anything in my pelvis. So when they're like, okay, squeeze, it was really hard to try to focus my body on that. And I, I will say there was definitely an innate, an innate feeling of your body wanting to do a certain thing. And so I kind of just flowed with that. That was some advice that somebody had given me was, listen to your body and when it wants to just do whatever go for it and so i followed along a little bit with that but it was it was really hard for me to figure out what muscles to use when True. i couldn't feel them and so <laughs> one of the more amusing looking back now things that dr smith did was she all of a sudden she had one of the nurses grab a towel off of the cart and so they had this like massive cart with any possible type of medical device and material that could possibly be needed during a delivery. And so she grabs this, this like almost bath towel off of, off the cart and she grabs one end and she hands me the other end. She says, hold on to this with all your might, hold on to this towel and I'm going to pull on the other end. Okay. And we're going to, we're going to do that for 10 seconds. The next time you're having a contraction and we're going to push, be ready. Let me know when it's coming. We can see it on the charts too. And then I just need you to hold on, okay? Okay, okay, sure. You know, I'm so out of it at this point that I'm like, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> so, so I grab this towel with both hands and she pulls with all of her. This woman is leaning backwards with this towel. And I was like, oh my God, if I let go of this towel, my OB is gonna go flying into the wall. I'm gonna like knock her out and she's not gonna deliver my baby. Like <laughs> I'm freaking out. I'm like, okay, Kate. Like all of your hand strength, just hold on. And it, it was exactly what I needed to realize, okay, I need to kind of stabilize my core in this way and just brace my body in a certain way to push. And so she did that once or twice and was like, that's how I need you to push. Did you like, you feel how your muscles were all tensed in that way? That's how I need you to push. And I was like, ah, 
okay, okay, like she knows what's going on. And so I'm pushing and I'm pushing and finally uh, she says, oh, I can see the head. I was like, oh my God, he's here, oh my God. Which it's kind of odd because you push and he gets to a certain point and then you pause and you break for a second and then you push again. And so it's, he's moving in small increments. And push with contractions. Yes, so he his head wasn't out by any means, but she could see the top of his head. And so she asked if I wanted to touch the top of his head. And I hadn't really considered that as an option beforehand. I knew that some people like to look and, you know, with mirrors and stuff and watch themselves give birth. And that wasn't really of interest to me. I was super excited when she asked if I wanted to touch his head. And so I did. And it was so strange to feel his soft little head. And I was like, oh my, oh my God, that's like, that's not me. That's an entirely different being. It was really cool. And it was really motivating for me too, knowing that he was so close. I keep pushing and he's having really bad heart decels. And we realize it's because the cord is wrapped around his neck and every time I'm having contractions, it's causing that cord to pull tight. And so he's having a hard time getting his heart rate back up. It was coming down to a point where Dr. Smith said that either I was going to need to give birth in the next 10 minutes or I was going to need an emergency C-section. And I was like, oh shit, okay, we gotta, we gotta get the show on the road. And we had to do it, I had to try to do it in the least amount of pushes as possible because every time his heart rate is uh, decelling and causing him a lot of stress. I ended up needing to have an episiotomy. So instead of allowing your body to naturally tear, they cut so that it helps to widen the opening that the baby's coming through. It can allow the baby to come through a little bit faster uh, sometimes. And so that's one of the reasons why they would perform that. She asked if that was something that I was willing to do. It was literally coming down to either I needed to have this episiotomy and try to get him out or go have a C-section. So I was like, okay, let's do that. Performs the episiotomy. He's starting to come a little bit faster and finally it gets to a point where she's able to essentially pull him out of me. And that was the most strange feeling out of the entire labor and delivery was when he like finally came out of me because like she legitimately like pulled him out. It was such a, a strange almost suction feeling of like him actually coming out of me and for not feeling anything down there for so long it was weird to feel something and have it be that so i i was i was holding your legs at mm-hmm. like helping you count mm-hmm. and every push breathing and counting, counting. You, breathing mm-hmm. but i could also see you know his head and i could see the progress that he would make and so like when you would push he would make progress but then he would come back Mm-hmm. And then you make progress and you come back. And it would be like a slow progression, as you were saying. I, I wanted to catch the the baby. That was the original plan. That was, and our OB was totally on board with it. Obviously, she would be there to help and make sure Dr. everything Ball was, was safe. But was totally on board and, you know, was was welcome to that, assuming that it was a healthy and, and, and safe birth. Right. Which this was trending in a direction where it was becoming a bit of an unsafe birth. Mm-hmm. And so with Dr. Ball having her shift end and Dr. Smith coming in, which she had never had a father or a partner catch before. Mm-hmm. And with the D-cells, I unfortunately wasn't able to catch it. But I was still right there able to watch, mm-hmm. you know, you give birth. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most incredible things I've ever watched in my entire life. Mm-hmm. It It was it was insane. I don't even I don't even know how to explain it. It was superhuman. You're a damn superhero. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, I, I don't know if his shoulders were fully out. I mean, they were talking about having Dr. Smith was talking about having his forceps, mm-hmm. and we were you were not necessarily in favor of forceps prior to this, mm-hmm. but you know if it was necessary, you were open to it. Yeah. But I mean, as soon as his shoulders really got through, I mean. She yanked him out. Like it was, it was. There was no real progression mm-hmm. from from there on. I can understand the suction because it was very quick as soon as the shoulders really got through. Mm-hmm. And he did not cry right away, which that's always the big wait. The baby comes out, and then everyone kind of holds their breath for one second, waiting for that initial scream. And he didn't. And so they were like, okay, we need to bring him over to the table, and he probably just has some fluid in his lungs. Really, really common with newborns. Um, so we'll just suction the lungs, make sure everything's working. Um, so Dan cut the cord. They brought Alfie over to the table to uh, work on him. And Dan immediately looked at me like, oh my God, like you're here. You just gave birth, but he's there. And I was like, yeah, go to Alfie. We I'm talked good. about this beforehand. Mm-hmm. We, we had a conversation 
before you even went into labor about where... If Alfie went to the NICU or if anything happened where Alfie was not by our side, Dan would go. I was in perfectly good medical care with nurses and doctors around me. I wanted somebody with my baby. And obviously I wanted that to be Dan. And so he went over to the table to just watch and see. Which was 10 feet away. Yeah, it was in the room. It was in the room. Again, it is a really big room so that they have enough room to do things like that. They can have a whole NICU team in to work on a baby while the mom is still delivering the placenta, everything like that. Which was what I was doing while they were working on Alfie. And so they were suctioning his lungs. Uh, He had swallowed a bunch of fluid. And finally he gave just the faintest, tiniest little cry. And it was such a relief to be like, oh, okay, okay, he's breathing. I remember Dan being over there and just, I remember seeing you kind of going back and forth, not really able to see, not really knowing what was going on. And I just kept asking, you know, okay, you know, is he okay? Is he not? And, you know, they were like, no, no, he's, he's okay. We're just trying to get the fluid out so that he can actually start breathing on his own. And so he didn't actually, he didn't start breathing on his own or he didn't start, he didn't cry for almost three minutes after he was actually born. He was born at 8.20 p.m. And by the time he came out of me and they had him on the side table trying to help him, uh, it was about three minutes, which was so, so, so long and was really difficult. But then he cried and I cried um, <laughs> and Dan cried and it was just, it was a breath. And But I was so exhausted and uh, the doctor was stitching me up and I had delivered the placenta, I was finally able to hold Alfie. And it was, it was a surreal moment for me where it was like, oh my God, like, this is my baby. They just put my baby on my chest. This is, this is my little human. I will say it wasn't like a, a flood of overwhelming joy and love immediately. It was this relief that I had him in my arms finally. Uh, like outside of me. I had spent nine months bonding and growing with this little one who never stopped moving inside of me. And he was finally in my arms. I was like, oh my God, like I get to hold you and look at you now. And it was amazing. What was it like for you? It was the scariest moment of my life. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this. It was terrifying. He came up purple. Mm-hmm. Dr. Smith was holding him up in front of us, patting him, yelling, come on, baby, come on, baby, come on, baby, trying to like take shit out of his mouth, hitting on his back, come on, baby, come on, baby. Um, they rushed him over the table, suctioning, trying to get crud out of his mouth. Three minutes is a long time. Mm-hmm. I think the the look that you gave me when they had to rush him over the table and kind of the fear that you had in your eyes, I, re- I remember that distinctly. There's a lot of things that kind of blur in my mind in regards to actually delivering Alfie just because I was so exhausted and it had been such a long day. But I distinctly remember that look between us when... They had to bring him over to the table and then you rushing over there. That was so reassuring to me having you over there with him because I knew that, okay, his dad's with him. It's going to be okay. Um, He's going to take care of him. And I remember that being really reassuring to me knowing that you were over there. It was was very difficult. It was really hard. I mean, watching you birth him was so incredible, powerful, and... It, amazing to watch and then when he was finally birthed with the I mean this this these cell of his heart rate for you know really the last few hours was you know concerning and those people were concerned it made me concerned and so you know once he was born you know I, I knew that he wasn't going to look you know He's not going to look like a Gerber Gerber baby ad. You know, I expected him to be discolored, but the whole not breathing for a few minutes was horrifying, terrible, scary. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to react. I was leaning on the 
the medical team there. The NICU, the NICU team was in the room. There was 10 people in the room, mm-hmm. at least. Um, he finally gave out the, the, the cry. I'm standing right next to him. There's six other people around this little tiny tray bed thing. Wipe him down. You know, make sure that he's get all the junk out of him. He's breathing. Check some vitals. And then wrap him up. And I was like, I grab for him. I didn't know if I pick him up. I don't know if he's handed to me. <laughs> yeah. And the nurse is like, no, no, no. You, you idiot. No, he's, absolutely not. He's going to mama. He's going to mama. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Okay. And, and so, which makes obviously all the sense in the world. Like, I absolutely want that to happen. Mm-hmm. And then he's laid on your chest. And, you know, just sit there. Just stared at him. Adore him. Yeah. They cleaned up. I, I don't even remember them completely cleaning up the room. I mean, the room after you give birth is just oh, a disaster. There's there's fluid everywhere. There's blood everywhere. There's different medical instruments everywhere. They, you know, your hospital gown is torched. And so they have, you know, they had me swap eventually into a different hospital gown. And uh, I don't even remember any of that. I remember just staring at Alfie the entire time. And he was so cute. He had his eyes open too. He was, the nurse said that, she loved delivering uh, full-term, like, 40-week-plus babies because they're, like, so much more alert than early babies. <laughs> I remember her saying that. But, yeah, I remember finally it just being a relief. And so they, they give you golden hour-plus. Um, we had plenty of time with him. And then they move you to They a... did take him back. Like, not back. They, they take him, they weigh him, they measure oh, him. Oh, yeah. All of that they stuff. Did that, they did that after. Yeah. Uh, they let us They let us hold and bond and... Do you remember when <laughs> the day, like two days before where we went to the hospital, I was on the rooftop reading and I got so sunburned. Oh my God, <laughs> and, so, and so when we were doing bonding hour, you know, I'd take my shirt off. Right, the nurses, get, that, get that skin to skin. Get the skin to skin. The nurses look at me like, who is this guy who is bright <laughs> freaking red? <laughs> I forgot about oh that. Oh my gosh. And so, so after we had lots of time to bond with him, like Dan said, took the vitals, um, handed them back to us, and then we end up moving to a different room so that they could clean up and somebody else could use the room for labor and delivery. And they bring us to a separate room where we'll be staying for 24 hours to monitor. Um, and that's where we first attempted breastfeeding. It was like the middle, I mean, it was, we gave birth at 820. I gave birth at 820. And, which was fun because it was in... Military time, it's 2020, and he was born in 2020, so I thought that was cool. 7-14-2020 at 2020. Yeah, exactly. So we moved to this next room, and it's getting late. It's around 11 o'clock when we moved there, so Dan runs to the cafeteria before it closes to grab food for the both of us, because I haven't eaten in so long. I grabbed so much food. You knew. You knew. I literally grabbed everything. <laughs> everything that I could. <laughs> Ice cream bar, sure. Jello, sure. Sandwiches, sure. chicken, yeah. Which was great because I was so, so, so hungry and exhausted. And we had Alfie in the room with us and everything. They have this little cart that they put right next to the bed. We did try breastfeeding, which I having him in front of me didn't work. But the football hold <laughs> that the nurse showed, he latched uh, decently. I, like the last episode when Maggie was talking about how you don't really know what is going on or you don't really realize, you know, okay, was it a good latch? I don't know. Um but it felt like a decent attempt. And so we continued to breastfeed. And again, these there's various apps that you can log uh, feeding so you know which side you fed on um, or if you're bottle feeding, how much they were consuming. And that was a huge help because the nurses and doctors come in constantly throughout the night. And they're always like, okay, great. When was the last time you fed? How much was it? How long was it? Did they pee? All these, they ask a million questions and you're just exhausted. Like, and Dan's exhausted too, because he's also been up for ages and sleeping. Working so hard. So hard. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really hard to remember all that information. So again, let the technology do it for you. And so we'd been, you know, kind of trying to breastfeed on both sides, seemed to be going pretty well. Um, he had pooped like almost immediately, which was the disgusting like tar poop when you. I that changed you had that his... diaper. Yeah, that was, a, that was a rough one. I had never changed a diaper. This was his first diaper ever, people. At, first. At some point in my life, I hadn't changed a diaper, and I was like, "Well, I'm just not going to do it then. 
I'm just not going to do it until I get my own. I have my own baby. <laughs> and I held out. I got a, a number of nieces and nephews. And uh, that first diaper change was horrific. That was a doozy. Anyway, he so he was having bowel movements. Um, and they log all this just to make sure that baby's digestion is a really good sign of, or a really good way to tell that everything's working and functioning correctly. And so the nurse would come in, ask us about how many times he had pooped, how many times he had peed, how many times he had fed, everything like that, and log it. And she had logged that uh, Alfie had had a pee diaper uh, between, he had pooped like multiple times uh, throughout the first day of his life. But she had logged really early in the morning on like our first night with him that he'd had a pee diaper. And neither of us could really remember that, but we're like, I don't know, because the, the nurses are also amazing in that they will, they'll, when they come in, if he has a wet diaper, they'll change it. Or if he needs to be re-swaddled, they'll re-swaddle, which is amazing because swaddling is really hard when you're exhausted and don't really know what you're doing. <laughs> and I didn't really practice swaddling. I'd watched a couple of videos, but which, side note, our birthing classes got canceled because of COVID. Uh, they weren't having any in-person ones and they didn't have the, like, infrastructure to do zoom ones properly and so dan and i had the pleasure of watching youtube videos to prepare us for birth which you know i feel like we did all right for being youtube taught parents <laughs> those youtube videos were they were rough atrocious i mean they covered all your basic bases but they were youtube needs to update some labor and delivery videos i'll i'll say that much they were free i'll, I'll leave it up exactly yeah they were free Anyway, we had, uh, the nurses were amazing, um, but at some point, one of the nurses had logged him having a pee diaper, and neither of us could remember it, but we assumed, okay, maybe the nurse had, you know, logged it because she had changed the pee diaper, and he didn't have another one, so the entire rest of the 24 hours that they were monitoring us, uh, he didn't have one, and that was unusual. Usually, they're having more pee diapers than poop diapers, because at this point, they're only breastfed. And they're only having the colostrum, and so it should be enough for them to be urinating frequently. So they wanted to keep an eye on him for a little bit longer. So they're like, okay, uh, you're, I mean, our 24 hours are up, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to keep you just a little bit longer. We just want him to have one more pee diaper, and it doesn't happen. And we're like, okay, this seems off. They're like, yeah, I mean, you had this one. And we're like, you know, neither of us remember changing a pee diaper. And, like, the nurse who was on didn't say that she changed one. So I think it got, like, mislogged, which was stressful for us, not knowing and saying, you know, okay, this could be something that is actually wrong. So because of that confusion, we kind of figured that it was probably mislogged. And then they were concerned because he had been eating, but he hadn't been peeing. Okay, so to give you kind of a timeline of where we're at with this, we had gone into the hospital on Monday Monday afternoon, had Alfie Tuesday night, and then would have stayed for 24 hours for monitoring. And so that would bring us to Wednesday night. And instead of going home at like 9, 10 o'clock, they let us stay the night. And so we're like, great, we'll go home Thursday morning. And Alfie still had not had a pee diaper. And so they were concerned. And finally, they're like, okay, most likely what's going on is that he's not actually getting any breast milk from you. He's He seems to be latching fine, but uh, maybe he's not drinking enough to actually urinate, which seemed off because he was, again, still pooping fine. But we're like, okay, no problem. And I had been wanting to breastfeed. That was definitely a goal of mine, was that I wanted to be exclusively breastfeeding. Um, but I wasn't anti-formula. And they offered to get us small bottles of pre-mixed formula and feed him so that make sure that he was full and then see if that helped him pee. And that was really hard for me to... Really? Yeah, it was It was one of those things where, again, you give birth and your hormones are all over the place to begin with. And, and they were really, really nice about it. They weren't forcing me one way or the other. They weren't mean about it. Um, I know some people have, you know, very difficult lactation consultants or other staff who have their own strong opinions about how to feed a baby. Um, my team was really great and just giving me the options and letting me choose what I wanted to do. And I wanted Alfie to be healthy and we'd already been there for like four days. And I was like, okay, we'll give him formula. Hopefully he pees and then we can go home, continue breastfeeding. And 
so we gave him this this little teensy tiny bottle and we're only supposed to give him like what 10 mils or something like that like mm-hmm. super small um and he housed the entire thing yeah he oh my gosh yeah he we had to like stop him before he had like the entire bottle of it um and so i was like which again it was hard for me because it was one of those things where i want to breastfeed and like your plan is going to change immediately like it felt like a little bit of a failure on my part which mm-hmm. i knew i knew it, t- it takes days for your milk to come in i know that babies have to learn how to latch properly and there's a million different things that go on but in kind of my vulnerable hormonal state, it felt like a hit to my I plan. Know, I didn't know that that was uh, such a drag on you. Yeah, I mean, knowing that he was hungry and eating, I was like, okay, I wasn't able to provide that for you, but we can provide that for you in another way. And so yeah. I was, I was happy that we were able to do that. But yeah, it was, it was kind of sad because I was like, ah, dang it, like I thought I, I thought I was going to be able to do this, like I was going to be able to be breastfeed exclusively, you know. And that was something that I've heard from a number of moms that uh, the first day or two of breastfeeding and everything that goes into that was probably one of the more difficult parts of labor delivery postpartum. And so we fed him. He, like we said, he housed it, was super hungry. So continued that where we would feed him a little bit, wait an hour, feed him a little bit more, wait. And finally got to a point where we had fed him a couple of bo- a couple of these small bottles and he still hadn't peed and so they're like okay we're going to go ahead and uh, give him a catheter to see if maybe I think they did an ultrasound first oh you're right they did and an ultrasound to see if there was anything physically blocking like a blockage couldn't see anything and then they cathed him and I think it was a bit of like calcium or they something. said it was probably a, like a skin tag a skin tag of some mm-hmm. kind yeah something that was just blocking uh, his urethra yeah and so when they put the catheter in, uh, it unblocked it, and apparently he peed everywhere immediately. And so that was a great sign. Uh, we fed him again. He immediately pee- had a pee diaper, and so we were good to go. So they had us wait a little bit longer. So again, we were there until Friday, so five days. I did not. So long. I did not pack enough for five days for us to be in the hospital. Dan didn't have enough clothes. He wore basically the same clothes the entire time. I forgot. You want to tell us? No. Good. All right. So the truck crushed with the storm we drove in with the jeep that didn't have ac which frankly i don't think is that safe of a vehicle uh and so we wanted to go get the truck from the dealership that was getting fixed because it was done because it was done finally after like two weeks and so i left after you got you got permission from the nurses to leave from the nurses i left on thursday to go get the truck Took the Jeep, dropped the Jeep off, fixed the AC, gave me the truck. I drove back. We parked the truck. Finally, uh, we had AC driving home, which thank God, because we had to drive home in, in the rain. It was a huge thunderstorm. A huge thunderstorm, mm-hmm. again. And uh, that would have been miserable in the Jeep. Having, yeah. Not having AC, driving home in the rain mm-hmm. would have been tough. Yeah. But, uh, but we, I mean, we had planned on, you know, okay, maybe two or three days in the hospital at most, but we weren't planning on five days. So Dan hadn't packed a ton of clothes. And so, and I, I had packed some clothes. Um, and we had packed. What was in your go bag? What was in your go bag? Ooh, good question. Um, so I had found multiple blogs that told. Peanut butter (laughs) M&Ms. Yes. Oh my gosh. I had bought snacks specifically for the hospital for like post delivery where uh, I had a big bag of peanut M&Ms and peanut butter M&Ms and uh, different granola bars and just kind of a variety of snacks for myself and for Dan so that I knew that I wouldn't be able to eat while I was laboring, but I knew that he would need stuff instead of having him leave the room a whole bunch because I didn't know if cafeterias would be open or not. Again, things were changing constantly. I had also packed Uno and I packed Cribbage, which is a card game. And we, we attempted to play it, I think, once. But I was, we were both so exhausted that trying to like count the cards for like points and stuff, we couldn't even do the math. And it's like basic math where you're counting to 15 and 31. And we couldn't even do that. And so I think we played maybe a third of a game and we're like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Um, oh, I did pack a really long phone cord for both myself and Dan. Mm. That was huge. Um, it was like a 10 foot cord. It was amazing. So, which was charging great. cord, charging cord, because I was able to put it 
all the way in the weird outlet all the way behind my bed and it still reached the the hospital bed um I had brought a really cute robe that I had gotten and a cute little swaddle set for Alfie and I it was way too big it was so big oh my gosh the hat Alfie was just a little peanut he was six pounds seven ounces 20 inches but he was so scrawny that the hat was massive on him I think we got one one picture where he kind of tucked it behind his head I wore the robe maybe twice when I actually I ended up basically naked the entire time because I was so warm in the room because they keep the rooms fairly warm for the newborns because they don't want them getting cold and I was and because of my hormones I was sweating so bad and so I was basically hanging out in a nursing bra and my adult diapers uh, which are oh so fashionable and I basically lived in that for the whole five days that we were in the hospital I ended up starting to bring when I would get up to use the bathroom, I would bring the robe with me because inevitably every single time I got out of the bed and I'm basically naked, some doctor or nurse would end up coming into the room and I'm like, God, every time and then I got to like walk out of the bathroom basically naked, which was fine. Like they, I mean, that's their department is in these rooms with women who are, you know, their bodies are completely wrecked from delivering a baby and there's no shame in this entire ward. And so... I think I used the the pretty robe a few times for that. But otherwise, I feel like we packed pretty well. I wish... More clothes. Yeah, more clothes would have been good for you. Um, I, I wish I would have brought probably a, like my computer or something with a bigger screen that we could have watched movies on mm-hmm. or something. That would have been nice. I think I would also bring my own Depends, which is a brand of disposable underwear for adults. Um, they had the massive hospital ones, but the ones that I ended up actually liking the most were the Depends because they were able to kind of hold things a little bit closer and tighter, uh, in regards to all like the witch hazel pads and the millions of different things that you're layering in your underwear as you're healing. And especially with the stitches, that was something that was far more comfortable. So I think I would bring, I would bring my own Depends. (laughs) Um, but otherwise I feel like we packed pretty well. Uh, and in full transparency for everyone that I have already and will be asking this question to, uh, to help normalize the fear, uh, I did poop while I was delivering. Uh, nobody said anything. Everybody was really nice about it, but there was an aroma that happened and I was aware of the situation and the nurse just immediately just cleaned up and didn't say anything and just was talking about other stuff and just going about her job like normal. But I definitely knew what had happened. I think I'd asked you too, and you were like, um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember you asking. I think you just brushed out. I don't know. I don't know if you knew or not. Um, but yeah, especially if you have an epidural, you can't feel anything that's going on down there. You don't know. And so it's bound to happen. But, uh, but yeah, we were finally able to, on Friday, go home with our sweet newborn Alfie, um, who was happy, healthy, cleared, and we had Dan's parents coming into town. They were actually already there because uh, they didn't... It was Friday. Yeah. They, we, we went into the hospital on Monday, and then they flew in on Wednesday. Basically, when we, we had Alfie on Tuesday, and then they flew in basically right after that. And yeah, the idea was my folks were going to come in a handful of days, and your parents were going to come in. Our parents... Yeah. One set of our parents were there for a full week. Yes. Right? So... Which, hindsight, I, I mean, obviously I love my parents mm-hmm. and I love your parents. It was amazing to have support there. Mm-hmm. It was definitely overwhelming, I think, in the end to have, mm-hmm. it was always somebody was there. Right. Which it was our choice to have them there at that time. They, they had asked our preferences on when to fly in and we're like, yeah, go ahead and come right away. Cause we were excited to share our newborn. And to, to their defense, they were like, are you sure you want us <laughs> to be there right away? They knew better. Yeah. They knew better than us. Um, uh, I mean, they did great. I mean, it was, I mean, when we first got back to the house too, do you remember the next morning when we woke up and we were up? Oh, Alfie had been up all night long. All night long. We were, you know, we had been in the hospital for five days. Mm -hmm. I was healing. We were both just wrecked, Mm -hmm. exhausted. And, I mean, I remember waking up that Saturday morning when my dad had come upstairs to the living room. And we had come downstairs to the living room. We Mm -hmm. live in a three-story townhome. 
And I was like, can you just please watch him for an hour? Just, can you hold him while we nap? <laughs> just for an hour, please. Just, just like, that's, that's it. If you need anything, we're right, we're right there. And he, like, belly laughed at us. No. Like, yeah. And he that's took why it. why we're here. We, yeah, we crashed for an hour or so, hour and oh, a half. At least, yeah. It was, yeah. it was really nice to have family there, uh, not only to get to share Alfie with them, but yeah, for that kind of support and for, uh, we had, we had incredibly generous friends who sent us meals. We didn't have to worry about dinner for a week. At least. And which was super, super nice. Shout out Houston rugby club. Yeah. You're the best. It was really good. It was nice being home and it gave us some time to adjust before kind of venturing out on our own again when family all left. That's how Alfie came into our lives. One year ago. One year ago. It's crazy. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoy getting to hear my story finally. And I'm glad that Dan was able to join me. Hopefully we'll be able to have some episodes with partners on so they can really dive into their experience with both dealing with pregnant women during a pandemic, (laughs) which I'm sure is a whole different beast, uh, as well as during labor, delivery, postpartum, I would love to hear a little bit more about their side of the story as well. I hope that you enjoyed hearing my story, got to know me a little bit better, got to know Dan a little bit better. If you would like to follow along for future episodes, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Panda Babes Podcast. That's P-A-N-D-E-B-A-B-E-S Podcast. Or you can email pandababespodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Bye.